Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing this morning? Do you have the joy of the Lord this morning? <laughs> Amen. Someone's like, no, Pastor Brian, I don't, okay? You don't know what's going on in my life. And you know that we have the ability to choose joy. Amen. You know, we're all going to be at some various points in our lives, we're going to be on the mountaintop or we're going to be in the valley. And sometimes we're going to be in both places, depending on what's happening in our lives. But regardless of those circumstances, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. And as we choose God's joy, it will strengthen us to go through the situations of life that we are facing in this moment. So I'm going to ask you again, do you have the joy of the Lord this morning? Amen. All right. Well, we are continuing with our series, uh, Full of Faith, and we are looking at stories of faith from the Old and New Testament, trying to understand what faith is so that we can be living it out in our lives. There's a big deal made about faith that we would be putting our trust in God on a daily basis. And this is really the impetus of this series is that we don't want to make faith a Sunday only thing that we want to incorporate a life of faith. The scripture tells us we're supposed to walk by faith and live by faith, and we can only be saved by grace through faith, and it's impossible to please God without faith. And so we should want to know what it looks like to live by faith. And so we have all of these stories from the scripture as it relates to living by faith and what it looks like, because we want to see these attitudes of faith. We want to not be nominal in our faith. In other words, passive, or it's just sort of a part of my life that I follow Jesus, as opposed to Jesus being the center of my life. We want God's power to be active in our lives, and we we want God's word and ways to be directing and governing our decisions. So the word faith, simply put, is a firm persuasion, a conviction based on what you have heard. And then finally today, we're going to be focusing on this. It means to trust. And what does it mean to trust God? Because you can't trust someone you don't know. And we truly want to know who God is. And we don't want to make up something about God because everybody, in one sense, is a version of a theologian. Meaning somebody has given you some representation of God. And everybody in the world has some sort of thought about God, whether they believe in him or don't believe in him and and what his attributes are and what he would do. And this is what's beautiful about the scripture is that we don't have to have this guessing game as to what God is like. We have a clear picture in Jesus. And when we know who he is, we truly can put our trust in him. So here is the jumping off point for our series. And this is where we have got our series titled here in Acts chapter six, verse eight. It says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians and Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So we see two very prominent things in the life of Stephen, that the power of God was evident in his life and ministry. And then also he was able to speak with the wisdom of God. There was no denying the wisdom by which he spoke. And we could see that these are two elements of faith in our life. We want to have the power of God active in our lives. And then we want to know the mind of Christ. We want to know the ways of God for our lives. And as we have been saying, just because we have faith doesn't mean we're not going to face any difficulties. Just because we have a relationship with God, 
we need to know we live in a broken world. The, the story of the scripture is the world is not as it was intended to be because of sin that we are facing brokenness. And Stephen here, who was full of faith, the very next chapter, we know that he was persecuted to such a degree that he died. And so just because we have faith doesn't mean we're not going to face difficulties, but God's power will be evident and his wisdom will be evident in our lives. So, so far in this series, we've talked about a faithful God. The reason that faith is powerful is because God is powerful. We talked about faith that transforms. We talked about the spirit of faith. We talked about faith obeys. We talked about examining our faith. We talked about faith loves. And then last week, we talked about faith is generous. So all of those messages are available on our YouTube page and then also through our podcast. So on the heels of that, in the chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, as we've been describing, is this great hall of faith, the men and women of faith in the Old Testament, all of the things that they did, the scripture says they did these things by faith because they put their trust in God. So after the Abel story about giving his offering, we have somebody in the scripture who's actually only named a very few times, very few times in the Old Testament, a couple times in the New Testament. And we don't really have a lot of descriptors um, of his life, but the little bit we do, we see that it was important for him to be included in Hebrews chapter 11 so that we could understand something from him and from his life. So let's read it here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse five. And the title of this message is that faith walks with God. Faith walks with God. And we're gonna see what that means today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse five. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Verse 6, we've read this a few times in this series, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So again, we should get our theology from the word of God, not just from our imagination. Right, our understanding of God from a revelation of God. So what is God like? Well, he's there, so we're gonna believe him. And then what are we gonna believe about him? That he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Those that seek after God, he rewards. So this is something of the character and nature of God. But this very famous verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, obviously is connected to Hebrews five, that Enoch had this type of faith that please God. So let's read it again here. We'll get some insight into Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up. What does this mean? Other translations said he was translated. Uh, taken up into the presence of God. Simply put, taken up to heaven. That he actually didn't die. He didn't die a physical death. And we see this also with Elijah in the scripture. He, that he didn't, even, he didn't even face mortal death. And he was not found. In other words, like, they were like, where's Enoch? We don't know. God has taken him up into his presence. But now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. When we put our trust in God, we put our faith in him, this pleases him. When we rely on him, we say, God, I trust you above all else. But again, you can't trust somebody you don't know. So we should actually want to know who God is, a true picture of God, not just a made up one. 
You know, a lot of people will describe God and you know, people who are angry at the church or angry at God, and they'll describe something about God. Well, I don't believe in a God like this. I'm like, well, I don't believe in that God either. You just made that one up. <laughs> Let's believe in God as according to the revelation of Jesus Christ, who he was, this greatest picture that we have. The book of Hebrews tells us this. The greatest picture we have of God in the scripture is Jesus. So when we look at Jesus, we understand who God is and why would we place so much importance on Jesus? Well, a big thing is the resurrection. This is why we know who God is like because we can look at Jesus. And Jesus said a lot of things about God and we could discount them if it wasn't for the resurrection. So the resurrection helps us to know what Jesus said was true because anybody can predict a comeback after you die. But only one person ever did it. And so we believe what he said about God. We trust him. The reason we trust him is because we know who he is. So let's read the story here about Enoch. Maybe we can get a little bit of in, a little more insight as to his story. Genesis 5, 21. <clears throat> Enoch, who was um, part of the family of God, descendants of Adam and Eve. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah, a little bit of a late starter. Enoch, before I had children. Now, for those of you that remember who Methuselah was in the scripture, who is Methuselah? The person that lived the longest in the scripture, over 900, 969 years, Methuselah lived. So when Enoch was 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. So there was this moment in his life when he had a child. And there's something that we see in the scripture that is unique to Jesus and actually bothered the religious people of his time is that he would call God Father. Sometimes, well, this is not a big deal. We know Father God, God the Father. We pray to the Father. We get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's, what is the big deal? Well, we're very familiar with this notion. But this idea in the time when Jesus was walking the earth and, and ministering to say that God was his Father was offensive because God was the rule giver. God was the one who would be angry at you if you broke the, relu- the, the religious rules and the religious people would be mad at you. And so to say that God is your father is this really strange notion about God. But I would say being a parent as Jesus is describing God should help us to understand what God is like. And this is what I tell all young preachers. I say the day or the time after you have your first child, you automatically become a better preacher. Because you understand something about the Father God, the heart of the Father God, that you didn't understand before you had a child. And here in this moment, 65 years old, had his first child, and then it says in verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. He walked with God. He had this relationship with God before having his first child that he didn't have. So something changed for him in his mind about this understanding of God. And then so much so that he was walking with God for these 300 years after his first child was born. Something about the heart of the father looking at baby Methuselah changed the world for him. Does anybody know what I'm talking about as it relates to your first child? Come on, I know you're tired because you have kids. (laughs) 
and it's a difficult season, and it's this combination of life is really hard and difficult, and life has changed forever, at least for the next 20 years. But there's also something about this baby that I love that I couldn't have described love. I mean, I loved my wife, but this baby that we made together, something in your heart just breaks wide open. And this is what we could say and understand about Methuselah, that he had an understanding about God in this moment, the creator God, the father God. He fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him, translated him into his presence. This phrase, walk with God, Adam walked with God. We see in the garden, Noah was famous for walking with God. So what does it mean for us to walk with God? Is, is it just the actual, I'm taking steps with God? I think there's a greater implication than that. It's just a lifestyle of walking with, being in relationship with God. That I would, the scripture says that we would walk in love and then we're walking by faith and we're walking in his ways. That means we're incorporating these things into our lives. Again, not just a Sunday thing, but these are things that I do all of the time. I'm walking in the ways of God. I'm walking in connection with God, in relationship with God. So we have this wonderful thing about being in, in relationship with God and sometimes we forget because of all of the good things God gives to us, right? We talked about this last week, that God is the God of blessing, and then God rewards us. We just read that. But the greatest thing about being in relationship with God is God himself, that we actually know God, or we have the opportunity to know God and who he is, that we could actually live in this vital relationship with him, communicating with him, talking with him, understanding what he would be saying to us. See, this intention to know God for ourselves is so important, to not have a proxy. I am not your proxy for a relationship with God, that God calls us all to be in relationship with himself. I want you all to know how to read the word of God properly. I want you all to know how to pray. I want you all to know how to live by faith. I, I can't do this for you. I'm not your avatar for knowing God. This is the call for all of us to be in a relationship with God. And then sometimes we think, well, what does it mean for us to be in a relationship with God? Should I, should I be acting religious? And if, you, if you've gone, grown up in any religious tradition, all of us have tradition. We have traditions here at the city church. That the way we run our services and how things look and where, where the video goes for our announcements in the middle of our service. And then, you know, some other, some other churches, can you believe it? They do their offering at the end of the service. How dare they? <laughs> some churches sing longer and some churches sing shorter than us and some churches only have one instrument and some churches have more instruments and some churches have organs and all of these things can become the ways by which we connect with God, this religious system that all of us are brought up in. But having a connection with the ways we gather is not the same thing as being connected to God. We all have traditions and we can all make fun of each other's traditions and we do this and I do this once in a while. 
But again, all of that is just traditions, systems, approaches. It's good. They're good. And they're all good. Most of them are good. (laughs) It's a a stylistic thing, but we get so connected to the style that we forget to connect to God himself. And, And we can think, you know, if I speak in King James English, Maybe God will listen to me more, and maybe I take some sort of posture with my face. And if I squint my eyes more, maybe God will really hear me. But it takes away from this idea that we can just truly be in a relationship with God. And, and if you think about what, what are the qualities of the relate, what are what are the qualities of good relationships that you have with people? Because this is the life that God wants us to live with Him. People that you are close to. What's one of the, the commonalities? You just spent a lot of time with them, right? Time, hours, years. And those are the people that you are closest to, generally speaking. They're your family. And then, you know, you've got some best friends in the mix there that have been your friends for decades. And you know them better than other people. Why? Because you just time, time together. Wouldn't the same be true for God? That we would just put in the time to know who God is, that we would spend time with him, that we would be intentional like we are with our loved ones, getting together and being with them, that I would, on purpose, do the same thing with God. That I wouldn't have to, like, institute the religiosity of the moment that I grew up in. You know, we, I address the way I do right now, you know, as a pastor, in, you know, in, in our, our past as a church, and this is not a bad thing, we used to wear suits, and this, my dad, he's not here in this service, but my dad loves to dress really nice. And he, one of his first job was in a menswear clothing store downtown Toronto. So he came by it honestly. And then so we would wear suits and then for just some of the things we just thought, you know what, just matter, it'd be better for us to be a little bit more relaxed so it's a little more available for people to come to church because they don't want, we don't want someone to come to church and think, oh, I've got to spend a thousand dollars on a suit to attend this church. Are you with me this morning? So we made this gradual change from, you know, just whatever to, and and just when people were like mad, (laughs) really mad. And one of the things I said to them, they didn't like, but I said it, is like, if this is true, if the only way for us to meet with God is in a suit, and if you're wearing a suit today, I love it. Don't take it off. You're looking great. I'm not against suits. This is not the point I'm making. Dress however you want to when you come to church. Are you with me today? But I, I, I found this thing out, when I, whether I wear a suit or whether I wear this, the scripture actually reads the same. <laughs> and if I really needed to wear a suit before I, if I really needed to wear a suit to be in a relationship with God, listen, I wear suits, okay? I wear suits at weddings and funerals and all the proper things that I'm supposed to do. When I go to meet our MPP, I wore a suit, okay? It's not what I'm saying. Please stay with me. (sighs) Because I can feel that. (laughs) If for us to connect with God, that we had to be on our most formal attire, then we would have to get up on Monday morning, get fully dressed in whatever our thing would be, and then we would pray for God to accept me. But we know that that's not true. You know that whatever you wear to bed, and I don't want to know what it is, 
I'm just saying some of your most effective praying has been on your bed. And you've been able to connect with God there just the same. So we don't want to have all of these religious ideas. What do I have to add to be able to connect with God? Well, it's just you and God is what it is. Time, time in our relationship. What are some other good qualities of relationship that you understand? You know, the scripture tells us um, to, for married people that we would dwell with understanding with each other. And this is a difficult thing for men and women to do. But this is what makes for a good relationship that you would understand me and that I would understand you. Understand where we're coming from. That's a good relationship. And then finally, simply put, love. And we know God loves us, right? We know God loves us more than our mama, and our mama loves us a lot. And so there's this invitation for for time and understanding and love. This is God's intention. This is God's intention, uh, been his intention for us all the way. Prophet Jeremiah says this in uh, chapter 31, verse 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. On that day when I took them to bring them by the hand out of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, Not, not, not that covenant, For this is the covenant that I will make, this is the covenant that we're living in, with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and and no longer shall each one of you teach his neighbor, saying to his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Talking about the new covenant, that we will have this relationship with God because our sins are forgiven. That everybody can know God and we want our children to know God, right? That we would teach, be teaching them to have a relationship with God. We would be teaching them the practices and the ways for them to know God because this is the intention for us to all know God. Second Timothy chapter one The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, a pastor, says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us into a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace that he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. These are all things that Paul is saying. For which is why I suffer as I do. So Paul's suffering was because he was preaching the gospel, because he was facing opposition. But he says, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard unto that day which has been entrusted to me. Verse 12, these words. For I know whom I have believed. What is Paul? He's like, I actually know God. I don't know about God. I know whom I have believed. Because Paul was facing all of this persecution, all of this difficulty. What was carrying him through? He knew God. He was facing opposition from religious leaders. This is the suffering that Paul was facing. Why was he able to continue? Well, I just know who God is. And I know that these religious, angry people who are opposing me, 
is what he's saying gently is they don't actually know who God is. They don't understand who God is according to the revelation of Jesus Christ and what he did and what he accomplished for us. Not knowing about him, and we need to know about him to know him, but let's just not stop at I know about him. I know a few of his qualities. See, we can look at, at social media, right? And we can know about a person. And depending on the person, they're going to be sharing certain details of their lives. But just because we know about them, does that mean we know them? It's not the same thing. So God truly wants us to be in a relationship where we know him and he knows us. We don't want to be in relationship, as I was saying, with a religious system or a formula. We don't want to turn our faith into a formula. We, want to, we don't want to know formula. We want to know the Father. And what did Paul say? I know God has given something to me, things that I'm supposed to be doing. I am going to trust him with this. Galatians chapter four, we see this idea expanded upon. Paul writing again to the Galatian church who had accepted Jesus, but then they were falling back into religion. And so he says this to them in Galatians four, uh, verse eight, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved by those uh, that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak, worthless, elementary principles of the world whose slaves you, you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid I have labored to you in vain. So Paul had invested the gospel story into them, and then they were going back to the Mosaic law, trying to follow Moses and Jesus. What is Paul's comment about them here in verse 9? Uh, yet you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. So there's a little bit of a dig in there. It was like, well, you knew God, eh, not really. God just knows you. And see, we want to go beyond that. We want to just go beyond a declaration of faith in Jesus, where we know, where he knows us too. I know him, because he knows all of us already. He's intimately acquainted with your life and what you need and what you should be doing. And when we know God, not just him know us, we can walk in his ways and walk with him like Enoch did. Not just know about him, to know him for ourselves. So what is this true picture of God? Well, this true picture of God is Jesus, Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we can truly know who God is and walk with him. Love these verses here in John 17, verse one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Verse three, and this is eternal life. Do we want to know what it is? Jesus is gonna describe it here for us because we're just thinking, well, it just means to live a really long time. Is that, is that all that it is? Is it just a quantum of time? Is it just being around? Is that eternal life? That they know you, 
the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That Jesus is talking about a type of life, this eternal life, what is it? Well, it's a relational life with God. This is eternal life. I love this thought. Because it removes us from our religious traditions and our systems and our approaches and the style of worship and all the rest of it and what the pastor's wearing or not wearing. This is eternal life, that they would know you. This is Jesus' desire for us. God makes a way for us to know him. And we're gonna receive communion here in a little bit. But even that word, what is that word? Commune with God, communing with him, just being with him. And there's nothing, there's potentially nothing more that's just a religious tradition than communion. Any church people wanna, you know what I'm saying? We used to have the, uh, the gold trays. Does anyone remember the gold trays or the silver trays? And when we saw those in church, I'm like, whoa, it's a big Sunday. <laughs> but then that was just a thing we did, right? I mean, for me, growing up in church, but it wasn't actually me about me communing with God, which is the intention that we were going to do the physical thing. But the physical thing resembles for us or should resemble a spiritual truth that we are actually communing with God, not just partaking in the religious symbology. Because it can just stay there, right? Let's admit it. It can just stay there. It's like, okay, communion, let's get it over with. But instead, it's supposed to be something more meaningful, something more important. Because this is what Jesus says. This is what eternal life is, that we would know God. And then we would know Jesus, who God sent. Like you know your family. Close. You understand each other. You love each other. So what happens in this relationship? And Esteban, if you're back there, you can come on up. What happens in this relationship that our desires are shaped and formed? Scripture says that we can have the desires of our heart. But what type of desires? Just the desires of our flesh? Or is it God-shaped desires that come out of this relationship that we have, that we become more like Christ We wouldn't just stay the same. Because we're in this relationship with God, we become more like Christ. The awareness of the will of God, which is so important. Because we should be reaching out and desiring the will of God for our lives, every aspect of our lives. God, what do you want me to do here? And then the more I spend time with him, the more I understand him, the more I love him, Walking in the will of God just becomes easier and easier. Because I I already know him. I already know what his word says. I'm not not searching for a scripture. I was like, oh, I, I know what God is like. And then here's a really big one. Out of our relationship with God, and I think this is really important, that maturity comes. That 
we would grow up in the things of God. And this is the, atten- the intention for us all, from the oldest to the youngest to the least to the greatest. That we would grow up in the things of God so that church wouldn't just all be about me. That I'd be like, oh, how can I help somebody else? That God has matured me in my relationship with himself. That I'm able to care for somebody else, that I can actually be the friend of God, that God could send me on mission to do something that he needs done in the earth because, you know, God needs a bunch of things done in the earth. And he's looking for willing participants. And we should be the ones who have a relationship with God to say, Lord, here am I, send me. Who needs to experience your love today? Send me. Who needs to be encouraged today? Send me. And this will come out of this relationship with God. We see this call in scripture, this call into a relationship, this call into fellowship with God. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this, God is faithful whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What were you called into? Into fellowship with Jesus sharing in common, sharing life. That I'm sharing every aspect of my life with him, that I'm inviting him in as my Lord and Savior to each aspect of my life, that I'm walking with him on a daily basis, that I'm not leaving my relationship with God in this room, that he goes with me. I can walk with him and he's going to walk with me like Enoch and his faith pleased God because he put his trust in God and he trusted him because he knew him and finally this before we receive communion together Revelation 3.20 very famous portion of scripture and sometimes we think this is for people who don't have a relationship with God but this is actually written to Christians behold I stand at the door and knock If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. See, this description of eating, this is one of the most intimate things that could be done in this time. And this is actually true today. When we get together with our friends, what's gonna happen? We're definitely gonna eat, right? And then from that meal, relationship grows. This is the intention of communion. This is the intention of opening up the door of our hearts because he actually wants to come in. See, eat with me. See, again, if we understand who God is, what does God want to come in and do? Depending on your understanding with God, God wants to come in and get you. God wants to hurt you. He wants to damage you. He's standing outside the door because he wants to teach you something with a hammer. It's like, no, he actually wants to come and sit and eat with you. This is the invitation to fellowship, to be with, to walk with God. And this is the invitation for people who don't actually have a relationship with God. And before we receive communion, I'm just gonna just mention this and we'll pray here in a second. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, 
This is the invitation for all, for us to be in a relationship with God, that you would actually know God for yourself. And if you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm gonna pray a short prayer here in a second. I invite you to pray along with me. Or maybe you feel distant from God this morning. You close the door on a relationship with him because of something that happened. You know, God is not mad at you today. God gives us the invitation again. The good news story, the gospel story is that Jesus came and made a way for us to have a relationship with God and to have that relationship, all we have to do is say yes. So if that's you today, you've never said yes to Jesus or you need to rededicate your life to Christ, we're all gonna pray together and we're gonna pray with you to help you to do that. So church, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's pray this out loud with somebody who might be praying it for the first time or rededicating their life to Christ. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and you raised him from the dead so I could know you. So I say yes to that relationship today. I say yes to your righteousness. God, I call you my father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways and I turn from my own. I thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If that's you today, we'll have some more instructions for you at the end of service, but let's receive communion together today. So it's there uh, underneath the seat in front of you. If you're on the front row, it's by the leg of your chair. If you are a follower of Jesus here, maybe visiting with us, we invite you to receive communion together today, but you don't have to feel pressured uh, to do this today with us. Uh, Just the instruction, if you just open that top cellophane piece first, hold the wafer. I'm just gonna read you here a scripture. At the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples, Luke twenty-two nineteen, says this, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this moment is for us to be reminded of the fact that Jesus has accomplished something for us that we could not do for ourselves that his body was broken on the cross so that ours could receive healing. Isaiah 53 tells us by the stripes of Jesus, we receive healing. His body was broken so that ours could be healed. So in this moment where we commune with him, not just doing something religious and not for the purpose of tradition, where we actually engage our hearts in this moment to remind ourselves about the goodness of God and the present presence of him by his spirit, that he's here with us in this moment. Let's just pray today. Father God, we just love you so much. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. That his broken body means that ours can experience healing. So for all of us in here today, Lord, we receive your healing power from the top of our head to the soles of our feet, that your power is greater than any sickness and disease that we can face. God, we don't have to be afraid of your power. 
we just open ourselves up wide to you, Lord. God, we're thankful that the scripture says that you heal the brokenhearted. So we just pray, Lord, for anyone in the room today who's gone through a broken relationship and they feel broken in their emotions today. God, we just reach out to you in this moment. God, and we know that you love us more than anyone, that you never leave us or forsake us, that when people leave us, you never do, that your love remains constant and that you heal us because you love us. We are reminded of that fact today. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's eat together. And open up the bottom portion. This juice represents to us the shed blood of Jesus. It reminds us of this wonderful fact that he washes away our sin, that he washes away our past. It reminds us of the fact when we do mess up, when we do sin, we never run from God. We always should run to him because he's always offering us mercy and grace. He's always offering us forgiveness. And when we commune with him in this moment, we don't fall into all of those religious traps running away from God. That we can be reminded of the fact that we experience God's righteousness, his forgiveness because of the shed blood of Jesus. So let's pray today. God, we thank you that Jesus shed his blood and he did it for us so that all of our sins could be washed away, all of our mistakes, that we could stand righteous in your presence, that we could stand righteous, forgiven, loved because of the shed blood of Jesus. We don't take it for granted, Lord. We truly remember it in this moment and we are so grateful, so grateful for your mercy and forgiveness. We love you so much. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's drink together. Amen. Well, beautiful. Wasn't great that you were here at church this morning. We're so thankful that you joined us here this weekend. Um, for, those, for those cups that you have, you can go ahead and put it back in the seat pocket that you found it in. Our ushers will take care of that for you right after service. Hey, City, before I dismiss, I just want to remind you of a couple of announcements that Avery and Christine shared with us. I want to remind you, today is the last day to sign up for water baptism. Um, We are hosting that water baptism service in just a couple of weeks. And so we have a table out in the lobby. If you have any questions, if you're kind of interested or you want to know more about it, uh, go ahead and visit our team in the lobby. They'll answer any of your questions. We would love to partner with you as you take uh, that next step in your journey of faith. As well, Pastor Brent prayed for uh, those earlier in the service. If you made a decision to follow Christ for the first time, we're celebrating with you this morning. You can go ahead and fill out the Connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. Check off, I have decided to follow Christ. Turn that in into the info desk. We have a team that will celebrate with you as well as give you some resources for your new journey of faith. All right, so I'm gonna invite you to stand up to your feet as we get ready to go this morning. If you came to church this morning hoping for someone to pray with you or for you, some of our leadership, they're making their way down to the front of the stage right now, right after service is dismissed in a couple of moments. Feel free to come up to any one of them. They'd be more than happy to pray with you this morning.
Amazing. Well, hey, City, thanks so much for coming to church this morning. Even with that extra hour of sleep, you look extra beautiful this morning. It was a pleasure seeing you. We invite you to join us back next week at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We love you so much. Have a great week.